When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is my partner in crime, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from different locations. Adlam will field to review the 2023 draft for the Packers. Weston, 13 selections over a span of three days, including nine on the third and final day on Saturday. I don't know about you, but only having Sunday off before coming back to work on Monday was not enough of a break. But um, that being said, it was uh, it was quite the eventful weekend uh, in Packerland. You know what the weekend reminded me of, Mike? It's where I don't know how many like 10 K's or half marathons you've run, but it's where, you know, you're prepared for it. Zero. Okay. well, I've run a couple now. But if you're not properly conditioned to pacing yourself, you can kind of hit that wall at the end. That's what the seventh round was for me on Saturday <laughs> night. It was like, hey, I knew we were getting 13 picks. I knew it was going to be a long couple of days. But when we got to that seventh round and it was one, two, three, four picks right in a row, um, that was sort of that last push over the hump. The most picks the Packers have had in the modern draft era, seven round era, uh, tying that with 2000 when you know you look at Ron Wolf. Uh, drafting 13 players and on that what would now be the f- the third day uh, he got Niall Diggs Kabir Baja Biamila and uh, Mark Tauscher Mark I mean, Tauscher three, yeah th- three pretty good football players and <laughs> and certainly there was one big line it came from Milt Hendrickson uh, Packers director of player operations when he came out to talk uh, about some of the picks and he said you know if you're batting 300 it always it's better to have 10, you know, 13 at bats than 10. And it's true. I mean, it does having those extra picks gives you a couple more swings at the plate and the Packers hope that they hit a home run here. Yeah. Well, it was a, it was a busy three days. And uh, as we review the draft class here, we'll break it down by phase offense, defense, special teams. And when you look at, you look at what the Packers did on offense, Wes, this was about uh, this was about an, an influx of young talent at the perimeter positions. The Packers drafted three three wide receivers, two tight ends, and a running back. All of them are going to have um, a tremendous opportunity to make their mark on the depth chart here in Green Bay um, as things currently stand. The offensive pick started on Friday night with the uh, the two tight ends, one in the second round, one in the third round, Luke Musgrave from Oregon State and Tucker Kraft from South Dakota State. In between those two, in the second round was wide receiver Jaden Reed from Michigan State. And then two wide receivers added on Saturday, 
Dontavian Wicks from Virginia. I believe he goes by Tay, so I'm just going to call him Tay Wicks and uh, and Grant Dubose from Charlotte. So um, at tight end and wide receiver, not unexpected what the Packers did uh, loading up, so to speak, at those uh, at those two positions and a combination there of early round picks uh, and some late round picks to see uh, see what these young men have. Well, and as you said too, Mike, you and I, we haven't had necessarily the opportunity to dive right into this draft yet. We kind of slept a little bit on Sunday and then we came into the office today. One of the little type of, you know, little research projects I want to do, it won't take too long. I'm sure on drafthistory.com was the last time the Packers out of a draft drafted a quarterback, a running back, a receiver, at least one receiver, and at least one tight end. Uh, They addressed everything. And I think when you look at, what the Packers needs were they lost a lot of their depth in free agency, right? So many people focus on the Aaron Rodgers transition to Jordan love, but you lose Alan Lazard, you lose Robert Tunyon at this time, Mercedes Lewis has not been re-signed. The, the Packers needed not only to find some potential playmakers, they needed to be able to build out the depth at their skill positions. Brian Gutekunst did that uh, starting really quickly, just mentioning Musgrave and Kraft you know, there's a lot of people in inbox asking, well, if, if you like one, what, why did you have to take two? Well, the fact of the matter is Mike last year, Robert Tunyon and, and Mercedes Lewis, they ate up almost 1500 snaps together. Uh, they started 20 combined games over the course of the seasons. The Packers love their 12 personnel package, and they would just be completely thrilled if both Musgrave and Kraft end up being uh, solid NFL contributors they have different type of skill sets, but yet they're both incredibly versatile in what they do. It's not like one is just strictly an inline blocker and one is a perimeter Jermichael Finley type or uh, tight receiving tight end. A lot of flexibility with how the Packers want to use that position. When you only had Josiah DeGuara and Tyler Davis coming back from last season, you had to make a move and the Packers did that. Yeah. Musgrave is that, uh, is that you know, big target, but with the speed down the field, he's that, he's that kind of prospect coming off of uh, obviously a really rough knee injury from last season, but he talked in his, uh, his conference call, the zoom call that he had with the media after he was picked, he talked about how he, he really pushed himself to be able to get back on the field for the senior bowl. He, he knew he could be one of these, uh, one of the top guys in a very deep tight end class, as long as he would have a chance to show what he's got. And, uh, and even though he really didn't have much of a season, just two games at Oregon state last year before the injury, he was back on the field for the senior bowl. He did everything at the combine and, uh, and he, and he did become one of the top prospects that was being talked about very much. So as a, as a second round target for a lot of teams and, and the Packers swooped in there. Then in the third round, they add uh, another tight end in Tucker Kraft. Now this is a you know an FCS All American from South Dakota State. He even talked about how he had, he he had NIL offers, you know, a chance to to transfer from the smaller school, go big time, you know, make some money as as a college kid in this new landscape of college football. He's from Timberlake, South Dakota population of 513 people and he wanted to stick to you know stick to his roots stick to the to the small town um the small town roots that he has and now he's going to he's going to take all that background to the big time so to speak in the nfl sounds like a very very confident young man 
I had asked Brian Gutekunst, okay, so if the if the vertical speed, which is what John Eric Sullivan had had pegged Luke Musgrave as sort of the the standout trait in a very deep class of tight ends, if vertical speed is is Luke Musgrave's thing, what is what is Tucker Craft's thing? And uh, um, and Brian Gutekunst said it's probably the the run after the catch, the the ability to to stay balanced and break tackles and and you know turn shorter passes into uh, into some longer gains. Both of these guys can run, but it's it's a it's an interesting compliment to talk about the two of them. One of them being the downfield threat, the other one being a guy who can maybe uh, you know break some tackles and and turn shorter passes into more productive plays. Yeah, you never want to have injuries, but when you look at Musgrave, the MCL, I, I wrote about this, I think, in our Insider Inbox column. It, it, that is probably the best case scenario in terms of when you talk about knee injuries because he did his did require surgery. Uh, you know, many times sprains can actually heal themselves when it's an you know medial collateral ligament. But the thing that's cool about it from his perspective is he was able to get healthy again. He was able to go through the offseason program or the pre-draft process and show teams that hey, this is the type of player I am. Because Mike, you mentioned the two games before he got hurt, he was already halfway towards his entire output from the previous season. He was in the midst of a breakout season with yeah. the way that he started his 2022 campaign. And then from Kraft's perspective, so much respect for the kid. We'll talk about Carl Brooks at some point too. These guys that look at for the programs that, that really invested in them and they stayed true to them. And I think if anything has been proven here the last few years, when you look at what South Dakota state has done, obviously last year, North Dakota state and Christian Watson, not only is are, are they producing NFL talent and NFL ready talent, the amount of opportunities these kids get is pretty incredible. I mean, I believe Kraft played in like 15 games or something close to that um, last year. I mean, these kids get such a huge opportunity to be the guy in these offenses. And the, another big thing that Milt Hendrickson talked about, you look for it. You look for these young guys that maybe don't play against Alabama every week to dominate their competition. And Kraft is one of those kids that has done that. Yeah. And by sticking around at South Dakota state, he won a national championship. He, you <laughs> Not know, bad. He, and he, yeah, he kept, as you talk about playing the 15 games, you know, they make the whole big playoff run. They win the FCS national title. And, uh, and then he's moving on to the NFL and, and ends up, you know, still getting picked in the third round, despite not being, uh, you know, from one of those big schools, a wide receiver, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to contain the excitement in some ways for Jaden Reed, the selection um, out of Michigan state. Brian Gutekunst took Luke Musgrave at pick number 42 in the second round. He also had pick number 45. He had Jaden Reed on his radar. He actually traded back twice, picked up a couple of extra day three draft picks, ended up moving back five spots as a result of those two trades, and then still got Reed. And I think what's really interesting, what's interesting about Reed, and this is what I said in our insider inbox column for Monday morning, the Packers haven't had a receiver with with this type of profile in Matt LaFleur's offense. They, you know, they gave it a try, I guess, so to speak, with with Amari Rogers, you know, trying to find that slot receiver who could run the jet sweeps and some of those things. But Amari Rogers doesn't run like Jaden Reed does in terms of the speed. Amari Rogers was not didn't didn't have uh, you know all these highlights of contested catches, going up and fighting for footballs, and doing the kinds of things that uh, um, that Jaden Reed did at Michigan State. So there's there's a very different profile here. While Tay Wicks and and Grant Dubose are those you know 
six one, six two, and two hundred pound, more of those classic, uh, you know, Green Bay receivers in terms of the physical profile. Jaden Reed is not, and this is going to be a, a very interesting addition in in addition to what he did as as a return specialist at, at Michigan State as well. This is a very very interesting addition to Matt Lafleur's system. As I've said numerous times now, it's always interesting to see what the Packers offseason emphasis is and how that ultimately correlates to the team they that they build for the upcoming season. With looking just strictly at Reed for a second, last year, Christian Watson, he did some of the jet sweep stuff. He did some of the backfield stuff. But right away at the end of the year, and especially getting reiterated at, at, at uh, the NFL scouting combine, Matt LaFleur said, you know, they want to get him going downfield. They want to get Romeo Dobbs, the vertical routes going, expanding their route trees, making them top perimeter receivers in this league. You expected that there would be a slot type receiver, a jet sweep type option that might come out of this year's draft. And boy, oh boy, does Reed fit that. I mean, this is a kid that did and wore a lot of those different hats at Michigan State. He offers you some punt returning flexibility. He's a guy that is willing to play on coverage teams. Although if he, if he shines the way he did at Michigan State, he probably won't have to very often. <laughs> uh, I'm just so excited to see him, you know, come into the picture here. I made no bones about it, Mike. When you and I talked last week, I was really big on Jackson Smith and yeah. Jigba. Still really big on that kid. I can't wait to see what he does in Seattle. Seattle has such a great track record for developing, you know, that young talent right away and getting him on the field, whether it's a, you know, and you know, a Metcalf or, you know, um, the uh, the slot receiver there that they had. Tyler too. Lockett. Tyler Lockett, Lockett. Thank you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost said the Randall Cobb, you know, kind of lookalike. <laughs> Um, but no, I mean, the fact of the matter is I, I just feel like Jaden Reed is going to come in here four four five speed, being able to make an impact right away that the possibility is there for all these young guys to play right off the bat. And, uh, I, I just see Reed as a guy that's going to really flourish in this scheme. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Yeah. All, elsewhere on the offensive side, you mentioned how the Packers kind of hit on all of the uh, all the perimeter positions. Lou Nichols drafted in the seventh round running back out of central Michigan. And then also in the fifth round, Sean Clifford, the quarterback from Penn State. I'll start with the running back first. Nichols, really interesting guy here. Um, much like um, much like Tay Wicks from Virginia, 2021 was really his big college season. Uh, Nichols had 1,800 rushing yards, 16 touchdowns for Central Michigan in 2021. Then in 2022, he dealt with some injuries, was limited a little bit, sounded like he was trying to play through, you know, playing in some games where he wasn't close to 100%. Central Michigan also had 
two offensive linemen from the 2021 from their 2021 group that were drafted that doesn't happen every year at a school like central michigan where two offensive linemen are 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 drafted in the nfl the same year so there was a lot of transition going on there but nichols i mean right away packers know obviously it's the aaron jones and aj dillon show at running back but you have Patrick Taylor, you have Tyler Goodson, and now you're, you'll have Lou Nichols uh, in that mix as uh, in that mix to see who the number three running back is going to be. It was funny listening to Nichols too talk about you know Mike so many times the 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 small NFL circles just you know the the six degrees of Kevin Bacon if you will how these <laughs> things go. Um, Nichols, his college coach at Central Michigan, his position coach um, is actually the same one that that Aaron Jones had. Uh, throughout his time at Texas El Paso. Um, just funny how those dominoes work. So yeah. he's very familiar with Jones. He's very familiar uh, with AJ Dillon. And it, when you look at it on paper, Mike, the way he matches up from a measurable standpoint and the fact that he's five foot 11, 220 pounds, this has been a recurring story for the Packers over the last 10 years. These are the type of backs they like as awesome as Aaron Jones is and inc as incredible future Packers hall of famer, the career he's had here they like those 220 pound kind of bell cow, you know, backs and, and Nichols has done it at a really high level. Um, 1800 rushing yards and 16 touchdowns is awesome. Uh, you need a good offensive line to do it, but it says something about the talent of the kid as well. And then just to close really quickly on Sean Clifford, I don't know if I ever recall, maybe Graham Harrell would be the last time someone's come in that's had as decorated of a college career as Clifford had over 10,000 passing yards, uh, 86 touchdowns. This kid beat out Will Levis for the, you know, for Penn state's quarterback job three years ago. He knows what it's like to be in the fire and definitely carries himself with the, you know, a leadership and, and sort of a confidence that I think you really need from that position. And just to mention this too, because people asking, well, fifth round, why fifth round? Well, you listen to Brian Gutekunst talk about it, where the Packers got him. Not only did they feel like that was the best value and the best fit, there wasn't necessarily a lot of guys underneath him uh, that they valued in that same way. And certainly they wanted to bring in another quarterback, and yeah. now they got a pretty good prospect here in Clifford. Yeah, Clifford won, I believe it's 32 uh, wins uh, uh, during his, you know, he started 46 games, I think, at the college level at Penn State, which is uh, which is pretty remarkable. There are actually a few guys in this draft class that uh, that really were four year starters, in some cases, five year starters. Um, and uh, Clifford will be thrown thrown right in there. It's it's uh, Sean Clifford or Danny Etling right now for the number two job behind uh, behind Jordan Love. So the uh, so the Packers are going to see, um, you know, see how that shakes out. Brian Gutekunst did not close the door necessarily on uh, signing a veteran quarterback, but I think he's going to, he wants to see what, uh, how Etling and Clifford do with the reps that they will be given during OTAs as you know, as, as the backup competition gets going behind love there. So um, before we shift gears to the defensive side, we'll take care of the sponsor business here, Wes. Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7, 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries, and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl, Cousin Subs, 50 years of better. All right, on the defensive side, that's where the Packers began this draft, sitting at number 13 overall in the first round. And things, you know, went fairly predictably. Maybe there were a couple of surprises in there, but 
Um, you and I both talked about it quite a bit in our preview shows leading up to the draft that Lucas Van Ness, the edge rusher from Iowa, was was uh, a potential, a very strong candidate for the Packers to uh, select in the middle of the first round. And sure enough, he was there and uh, and the Packers took him. And this is this is a young man. I, I'll say this. It. He's 21 years old. He's going to turn 22 just before the start of training camp. He he really only played two years at Iowa. I don't want to hear all this stuff about how he didn't start any games or whatever. It's like, come on, the kid played a ton of football. All right. The whole starting thing was just because of Iowa's, you know, procedure with their fifth year seniors and their veteran players and all that. Lucas Van Ness was a star on a really good Iowa defense. Okay. So I don't want to hear this about the not starting games. But this pick feels a lot to me like the Rashawn Gary pick from a few years ago, a young guy who the Packers believe has not reached his potential at all, who has lined up both inside and outside as far as along the defensive front and getting after the passer. The biggest difference here, in my opinion, with the Van Ness pick versus the Gary pick is Gary was chosen right after the Packers had just signed Zadarius and Preston Smith to be the starting outside linebackers. Lucas Van Ness is coming in at a time that the Packers don't know when Rashawn Gary is going to be back. You have Preston Smith on the one edge. This is a young man who could come in and start right away. That was not the expectation for Rashawn Gary. It very well could end up being the expectation for Van Ness. Yeah, I've never really seen a situation like this before, Mike, where you have an, a rookie that's coming in that could potentially be playing right off the bat. I mean, at the edge rushing position, I mean, even if you go back and think about Clay Matthews, I mean, Aaron Campman was also kind of, you know, peer, you know, earmarked for that outside rusher yeah. position. Uh, Clay was not a guy that they even necessarily thought about that. Nick Perry, you had Mike Neal. Uh, and certainly as you talked about with the Smith bros and, and Rashawn Gary. Yeah. Clay the, Matthews. I don't think, I don't think he started until like his fourth or fifth yeah. NFL game. He was not a starter the first month of the season, his rookie year. Yeah. So it's, it, it is a process, but in, in this case with Van Ness, it makes so much sense. And I talked a lot about, you know, my head going with my heart with that first round pick. Certainly, as I've talked about numerous times, JSN was my heart, but in my head, it's always about tackles and edge rushers for the Packers in the first yeah. round. You just don't find that type of talent that separates itself from the rest of its position, quite like outside rusher and quite like tackle. Why? Because they're the ones that are most directly tied to the quarterback, pressuring the quarterback and protecting them. And Lucas Van Ness, where he really benefited last year, Mike, as everybody's so tied up on this starting business, is the fact that he was able to put tape out there against Paris Johnson. He was able to put tape out there against Peter Skaronsky. And it is impressive. This yeah. isn't some kid that just got a bunch of TFLs and pressures and sacks against, you know, so-and-so from... The, direction, the, the directional states of the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like it was just the, the fill in non-conference games. This guy did it at the big 10 level, six, five, two seventy two at 21 years old. That is a kid with big paws, man. And I'm excited to see him grow into the spot. You can play him early on if you need to in that rotation with Kingsley and Egbari and Justin Hollins. Later on, if Rashawn Gary comes back, you can maybe push him inside a lot of flexibility in how Lucas Van Ness could affect this defense. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, as the, 
with the Packers sitting in the middle of the first round. And we had talked last week about, you know, it's pro as much as there's been all the talk about the receivers and the tight ends, it's probably going to be, you know, a bigger guy, an edge rusher or an offensive tackle. And I have to give you credit because we didn't mention this in the review of the offense. You had said on our, one of our draft preview shows that if the Packers are going to get an offensive tackle, you probably get one right away in the first round. But if you don't, get one of those guys right away in the first round, then maybe you don't even bother because the Packers are bringing back 13 offensive linemen from last year's roster and, and practice squad, which is an unprecedented number of, uh, of guys coming back. And sure enough, what happened, the one position the Packers did not address was offensive line. The, the top tackles, you know, the, I believe three of the top four tackles were gone by the time the Packers were ready to pick. They decided to go with edge rusher and Van Ness. And then, uh, and then the, uh, the offensive tackles, it, it, they, they just let it go from there. It, it made sense from a, from a strategic standpoint. That being said, I will also say that I think one of the things I said on one of our draft preview shows with regard to the defensive line is this felt like a draft where the Packers were going to have to find some potential prospects on the third day on the defensive line because of the edge rusher, the receiver, the tight end, and the spots that you were probably going to address um, on the first two days in terms of the guys at, at the top of those positions. And sure enough, Colby Wooden from Auburn is drafted in the fourth round and then Carl Brooks from Bowling Green in the sixth round, a couple of day three defensive line prospects that frankly, Wes are really, really intriguing because Colby Wooden, he, he dropped down into the two seventies weight wise for the combine. And he was able to actually crack four. I think he cracked four eight. He was in the four sevens four, seven, in the nine. 40, but he basically plays, you know, he plays in like the mid two eighties and, and sounds like he has the, he has the frame to, uh, to carry that and possibly a little bit more, and a guy, uh, you know, Carl Brooks from Bowling Green, 300 pounds, and his last year at Bowling Green, 18 tackles for loss, 10, 10 sacks uh, among that bunch. As as an interior defensive lineman, those are those are some numbers that are that are pretty impressive. Now, obviously, doing that in the MAC is not the same as doing that in say maybe the Big Ten or the SEC because of the offensive linemen across from you. And that's why a guy like Carl Brooks with those numbers, you know, lasts until the sixth round. Both of those guys for, for a Packers defensive line that lost Dean Lowry and Jaron Reed in free agency, and you're trying to uh, to rebuild some depth there, I think those are two really, really interesting prospects. Yeah, because they don't do what the, the guys that are coming back do. You know, you had TJ Slayton as your run stuffer from two years ago. You need him to play that one tech role. You had Devontae Wyatt coming in, sort of filling the shoes there, having that prototype, much like Kenny Clark. You need to add some more versatility, a little bit more uh, different looks, I think, to that defensive front. They very much did that with these two prospects. If I can really quickly, just diving into Brooks for a second, one thing that I want to give Lance Zerline a shout out from NFL.com on this, because I really enjoyed his write-up on Brooks. You know, he said there's going to be a lot of people, Mike, as you just alluded to, that are going to kind of knock him a little bit for, well, he went up against the Mac. He said that would be a mistake. If you look at this kid's film, and Milt Hendrickson also touched on this, and many times he was a man amongst boys. He dominated at that level, and he did it for five years, Mike. This is a guy that yeah. led... Bowling Green four times in sacks, including his true freshman year. 
The only year he didn't was his junior season when they only played five games because of COVID and he hurt his foot and was out for two of them. And he still had two sacks in three games. This is a really intriguing guy. And to correct myself earlier, when I was talking about edge rushers in 2012, it was Nick Perry and Eric Walden, not Mike Neal. I want to bring up Neal though, because Neal kind of reminds me a little bit of what they're doing with Wooden too. These guys that are probably a little bit more athlete than your traditional stereotypical linemen. These guys, I mean, you've, you've seen some of these videos of Wooden and even just kind of looking at him, uh, he, he's a grown man. I mean, this guy is an athlete and I'm very excited to see, you know, Jerry Montgomery getting two talented players that have very contrasting skill sets, but yet could both still be factors in the middle of that defensive line. Uh, just, just the type of moves you need to make again, like tight end, they've graduated a lot of snaps off this team with Lowry and Reed leaving in free agency. They got two guys that could potentially step in and help fill those roles. Yeah. I mean, anytime, anytime you see solid sack numbers from an interior rushing position, it's got to catch your eye. And as I said, with Brooks, it was in the Mac at Bowling Green, but he had 10 of them and you're talking wooden at Auburn that's in the sec. And he had six, I mean, a half a dozen sacks in a league like that. Um, when, uh, when you're rushing from an interior position and not off the edge, that's, that says you're, you're a disruptor, uh, you know, on the inside. And that's what, that's what the Packers are hoping that these two young men can become for their defensive line as well. Yeah. And I'll just mention really quickly on Brooks, if people want to talk about that at Bowling Green, that's fine. But this kid was, he was the focal point. Everybody's attention was on him. It's not like Bowling Green had this huge dominant defense. Uh, he was the guy you had to stop. And yet most teams in the Mac could not do that. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Um... In the seventh round on the defensive side, a couple of picks in the secondary. Carrington Valentine from Kentucky, Anthony Johnson Jr. from Iowa State, Valentine a cornerback, Johnson Jr. a safety, but a converted cornerback who in his fifth year uh, for the Cyclones in Ames, Iowa, converted to safety. These these are seventh round picks that that qualify as as value selections, Wes, because there are a lot of analysts. Not saying everybody, but a lot of a lot of analysts had both of these guys rated as uh, as going much much earlier in the draft than they did, and the Packers picked up both of them in the seventh round. Obviously, the Packers have quite a bit more depth in terms of uh, in terms of proven players who have started, you know, log the snaps and all that at cornerback than they do at safety. So Johnson Jr. 
maybe we'll have a, you know, a, a larger chance to compete for uh, for a bigger role on defense right away. But then you also see both of these uh, prospects potentially uh, helping out on special teams because they, you know, they, they have, they, they play that position and, and have the body type and the speed and all that to, uh, to help in that phase. First off, just starting quickly on Valentine, because I'll tell you this, Mike, you had to use a pick on him because if he was going to be an undrafted free agent, I'm pretty sure Mel Kuyper would have just given him money and signed him himself. I mean, he was that <laughs> high on the kid. I, I get it. He had one interception in college, but as he said, he's a press man corner. I mean, that's his style. He watched Jair Alexander a lot. I mean, that he is the type of guy that he wants to take away his side of the field. He doesn't just want to have get thrown at every single time and, and get all these picks. That's the type of style he plays. He came out at 21 years old because he feels like he still he was ready for it. And I'm excited to see the young man come in here because I think if the Packers did have a need at cornerback, it was as perimeter base. They have a lot of guys who can play the slot, but with Eric Stokes still coming back from that knee and ankle injury, they needed yeah. some young prospects on the perimeter. I'll tell you this, Mike, you didn't get a chance to, to jump on the call. You were working on a wrap-up story, but Anthony Johnson Jr., when I heard him, I closed my eyes. I heard Micah Hyde in his voice, and <laughs> I don't know how he's going to play. I'm not comparing him to a two-time all-pro safety, but he has a confidence and a leadership about him that it grabs you through the conference call. 62 games, a school record 54 starts. He was ready last year to turn pro. Three and a half years as a starting cornerback, but he didn't have a pick. And the thing was, is Matt Campbell, Iowa State's coach, went to him. And they are as tight as tight can be in terms of coach and player relationships. And he said to him, listen, I'm talking to scouts around the league. There are a lot of people in the National Football League that think you are a safety. I want you to come back. I want you to lead our defense. I want you to play that position. And Johnson agreed, and it was the right move for him. And as he said, instead of going to the NFL, maybe forcing your hand and having to learn a new position at that level, he wanted the opportunity to actually do that at the college level and develop his skills. His pay for that was a second-team All-Big 12 selection. He got his first two interceptions of his career, a career-high 60 tackles, and this guy now is coming to the league. He said he always wanted to play quarterback. Well, when he went and played safety, he started to finally get a taste of what that feels like. Yeah, and I I want to mention the the kicker Anders Carlson, the Packers drafted out of Auburn in the sixth round. I mention him right now because I I kind of want to make a, a an overarching point about a few competitions that we're going to see evolve here. I already mentioned with regard to Sean Clifford and um, Danny Etling at quarterback. Brian Gutekunst not necessarily shutting the door on on bringing in a, a veteran quarterback at some point, but he wants to see how those guys do through you know through OTAs and 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 how that competition develops. It's very much the same scenario, so to speak. I think at safety, Anthony Johnson Jr. comes in the only new addition to the safety competition for who's going to start next to Darnell Savage. Rudy Ford would probably be the favorite in the clubhouse right now. The Packers also signed Tavarius Moore from San Francisco as a free agent. You also have Innes Gaines and Dallin Levitt there. Now Johnson gets thrown into the mix. Adrian Amos is still out there as an unsigned free agent. Brian Gutekunst said not necessarily going to, you know, going to to slam that door shut, but the Packers are going to see how the the competition evolves. The third one in sort of that group uh, is the is kicker. You now have Anders Carlson from Auburn, a sixth round draft pick, to compete with Parker White, who was undrafted out of South Carolina a year ago, and the Packers added him to the roster right after 
the regular season ended last year. Mason Crosby is still out there. Again, it you know Brian Gutekunst says, hey, we're not we're not completely closing the door, but the Packers are going to see how these competitions develop and evolve through the spring through OTAs, mandatory minicamp in June, all of that, and then assess the situations. Now, obviously there's a risk that Mason Crosby could sign somewhere else in the meantime, that Adrian Amos could sign somewhere else in the meantime, that the veteran quarterbacks that maybe fit, you know, the salary cap situation the Packers are in, they might sign somewhere else in the meantime. So there's risk in taking this approach, but at the same time, it, it does speak to the confidence that, Brian Gutekunst and his personnel staff have in these moves that they've made and the players that they brought in, they think they think they've got what they need here without having to, uh, to bring back those veteran guys that, uh, that they know exactly what they're going to get when they walk in the door. Yeah. And they'll get a taste of it right away. Mike between rookie orientation camp, between OTAs, they'll get a feel for where these players are at and where they potentially may need to add down the line. The thing I like about Anders Carlson and also you're talking about tying in the competition, also tying in guys that had really standout seasons during college, but maybe didn't quite end their college careers on a high note. When you talk about Nichols, when you talk about Wicks and in Carl situ- mm-hmm. Carlson's situation too, right. this young man had a fantastic junior season, but then it goes and tears the ACL. Last year, he has the shoulder injury. He actually kicked on his plant foot with a brace last season. That's not ideal for a kicker, but it's, you know, everyone takes that pretty seriously at the college level. But six foot five, 219 pounds, we know what his brother has done in the league now, a two time all pro. Uh, he has the gen- genetics for this. And as much as I love Jake Moody, and I am a huge fan of his, I think he's going to have a great career. Taking a third round or kicker in the third round, like the 49ers did, is a dangerous <laughs> proposition. Yeah. Not because even the pressure you put on the kid, it's also the pressure you put on yourself as an organization. You can't cut a third round pick. He has to be the guy. And if you do have to bring in another kicker, are you necessarily going to also cut the guy that you spent that type of draft pick on? It's tough to do. Same thing with new England going and getting the Maryland kid in the fourth round. The sixth round has been a sweet spot for the Packers at kicker. The 11th time they've taken one very interested to see how this young man does. And certainly the competition now uh, that we'll see probably throughout OTAs. And as the Packers try to figure out this next step, uh, at what has been an iconic for position for them. When you look at Mason Crosby, Ryan Longwell, Chris Jackie, I mean, to have that type of stretch, we talk about yeah. quarterbacks so often, yeah. but the remarkable players, the Packers have had a kicker uh, considering the elements here in green Bay. It, it really cannot go overstated. Yeah. It's, it was interesting seeing the selection of Carlson, you know, immediately looking up the information on him. It's like, Oh yeah, of course he is the younger brother of Daniel Carlson who, I hadn't remembered this, but had also kicked at Auburn. So Auburn's had basically like nine 10 years, year, 10, nine, I was going to say 10, but nine years with, with a, with a Carlson as the kicker. But what was, what was interesting to me is hearing Brian Gutekunst, you know, really, you know, essentially ha- hand this pick off, so to speak, to the influence of, of Rich Passaccia, the Packers special teams coordinator, and now uh, assistant head coach. We saw we saw the influence that Basachi had in how the Packers rebuilt the special teams last year with the acquisitions, with bringing guys in like Dallin Levitt, like Keyshawn Nixon and guys that he, guys that he had worked with. And obviously the, uh, 
that there was a solid turnaround in the special teams phase. And then Rich Basaccia gets, you know, the additional title in the off season. And now here, the, the, the faith that, that the Packers are showing where it's like, Hey, the statistics of this, you know, this Carlson kicker his last couple of years in college, they're not that great and whatever. And, and, Basaccia believes in him from what uh, from what we heard from Brian Gutekunst, and that's what gave Gutekunst the uh, the the courage to make this pick. When a lot of people are just going to look at the numbers and go, why you know why would you take a college kicker who missed you know 10, 12 kicks his last two seasons when he had the one really really good year before he got hurt and and all that. So we're continuing. My point is we're continuing to see the influence of of Rich Basaccia on special teams here, and the Packers are going to see what these kickers Carlson and white, what they have um, and see if, uh, if it truly is time to move on from Mason Crosby, the franchise's all-time leading scorer. One thing that is very important to illustrate is I think when you look at both scouting and coaching, I don't know if there's a more difficult position. People put so many eyes on quarterback and for good reason, it's the money position. There are no certain things with kickers. Um, We saw it a number of years ago with the second round pick that uh, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers used. these guys it's going to be an ebb and flow league and I think Carlson's a perfect example of that the older Carlson you know Daniel Carlson's a fifth round pick he goes to Minnesota he has a couple bad games including one against the Packers yeah the one here at Lambeau is when he lost his job with the Vikings and then that's what obviously leads to him landing in Oakland and he works with Rich Bisaccia and uh and becomes uh becomes an all pro kicker and then Bisaccia gets to know the younger brother and now that younger brother is uh is with Bisaccia here in Green Bay yeah. And, and it's one thing to be an all pro, or I should say an all American, but in, and you give credit to Daniel Carlson for picking himself up and, and making him into the player that he is today, but it takes someone like Rich Bisacci to have some faith in him. And obviously the Raiders to bring a kid like that in and give him a shot after things didn't end so well in Minnesota. So there is so much projection involved because unless you are, um, you know, a Justin Tucker or a Mason Crosby, where you just have this prodigious run in college, uh, guys are going to miss field goals. It just happens. I mean, it, it is a tough thing to kick in college, let alone the national football league. So I, I just, I like the pickup in terms of being able to finally make that investment. The first time in 16 years, the green Bay Packers have drafted a kicker. Again, we'll see how things go. It's much different kicking in green Bay than it is in Auburn or it is in South Carolina. So, you know, you take these things as they come, but, but certainly uh, they, they got a real nice prospect in that position for Rich Bisacci to start his work with. Yeah, no question about it. Well, we've gone a little bit beyond our normal length of show. So this sorry is becoming that, the Justin. new normal, Mike. Yeah. Well, this I know now normal. that now that we're not in the same room together and, and uh, you know, we <laughs> try to, we're trying to figure out the, uh, the new rhythm here while, uh, while we have the technical, <laughs> issues but uh but that being said we will call it a wrap on this edition of packers unscripted we'll talk more about the draft review more things with the draft on our second show later this week so be sure to tune in for that but for now for wes i am mike thank you for tuning in everybody and we will see you next time With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Getting ready to take on spring? 
Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.